girl who was doing the singing was out of sight. He led his horse, holding it by the bit and nostrils to stop it whinnying or snorting. The girl's garments were spread on a perfectly flat boulder lying in the lake. She, naked and waist-deep in the water, was washing and singing the while. The knight didn't recognize the words, and no wonder. The girl, he would have bet his life, was not flesh and blood. That was evident from her slim figure, the strange color of her hair and her voice. He was certain that were she to turn around, he would see huge, almond-shaped eyes. And were she to brush aside her ashen hair, he would surely see pointed ears. She was a dweller of fairy, a spirit, one of the Tulwithtir, one of those creatures the Picts and Irish called Dainashi, the folk of the hill, one of those creatures the Saxons called elves. The girl stopped singing for a moment, submerged herself up to the neck, snorted, and swore very coarsely. It didn't fool the knight, though. Fairies, as was widely known, could curse like humans, oftentimes more filthily than stablemen. And very often, the oath preceded a spiteful prank for which fairies were famous. For example, swelling someone's nose up to the size of a cucumber, or shrinking another's manhood down to the size of a broad bean. Neither the first nor the second possibility appealed to the knight. He was on the point of a discreet withdrawal when the noise of hooves on the pebbles suddenly betrayed him. No, not his own steed, which, being held by the nostrils, was as calm and quiet as a mouse. He had been betrayed by the fairy's horse, a black mare, which at first the knight hadn't noticed among the rocks. Now the pitch-black animal churned up the pebbles with a hoof and neighed a greeting. The knight's stallion tossed its head and neighed back politely. So loudly, an echo sped across the water. The fairy burst from the water, for a moment presenting herself to the knight in all her alluring splendor. She darted towards the rock where her clothing lay. But rather than seizing a blouse and covering up modestly, the she-elf grabbed a sword and drew it from its scabbard with a hiss, whirling it with admirable dexterity. It lasted but a short moment, after which she sank down, covering herself up to her nose in the water, and extending her arm with the sword above the surface. The knight shook off his stupefaction, released the reins, and genuflected, kneeling on the wet sand, for he realized at once who was before him. Hail, he mumbled, holding out his hands. Great is the honor for me. Great is the accolade, O lady of the lake. I shall accept the sword. Could you get up from your knees and turn away? The fairy stuck her mouth above the water. Perhaps you'd stop staring and let me get dressed? He obeyed. He heard her splash out of the water, rustle her clothes and swear softly as she pulled them over her wet body. He examined the black mare, its coat as smooth and lustrous as moleskin. It was certainly a horse of noble blood, certainly enchanted and undoubtedly also a dweller of fairy, like its owner. You may turn around, Lady of the Lake, and introduce yourself. I am Galahad of Kyr Bennett's, 
a knight of King Arthur, the lord of Camelot, the ruler of the Summerland and also of Dumnonia, Divnant, Powys, Divid, and Temeria, she interrupted. Redania, Rivier, Adirn, Nilfgaard? Do those names mean anything to you? No, I've never heard them. She shrugged. Apart from her sword, she was holding her boots and her blouse, washed and wrung out. I thought so. What day of the year is it today? It is. He opened his mouth, utterly astonished. The second full moon of the Beltana, Lady... Siri, she said dully, wriggling her shoulders to allow her garments to lie better on her drying skin. She spoke strangely. Her eyes were large and green. She involuntarily brushed her wet hair aside and the knight gasped unwittingly. Not just because her ear was normal, human and in no way elven. Her cheek